Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. in 1906 and it caught the world's attention. God used it and it caught the world's attention. And so that's where we're going to pick up tonight. Uh, All of these things are happening. This is, if you look at your notes on page one, uh, the Los Angeles record records this of Azusa Street. It says, the gift of tongues craze, which started some months ago in a tumble-down barn-like building at Azusa Street, the city has caused more than one war among the various religious denominations of the city since its noisy introduction. From the beginning, the crowds that gathered nightly at Azusa Street were made up of followers of many churches and many sects. The charm mystery, which worked like wildfire among the frequenters of those motley gatherings, extended its influence to such an extent that other churches were soon feeling the effects. The apostolic faith, if you remember, the apostolic faith was the the periodical, the the newsletter that came out of Azusa Street recorded this. We rejoice to hear that Pentecost has fallen in Calcutta, India, over 10,000 miles away on the other side of the world. Praise God. We have letters from China, Germany, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, England, Ireland, Australia, and other countries from hungry souls that want their Pentecost. Some of these letters are in foreign languages. Missionaries write that they are hungry for this outpouring of the Spirit, which they believe to be the real Pentecost. The world seems right for the Pentecost in all lands, and God is sending it. Amen. So, so things got turned up. The fire got turned up. People, you know, you have thousands of people flocking to this rundown building, and uh, God's moving in a supernatural way. And as a result, there were many churches that were started around Los Angeles, Pentecostal churches. And if you'll remember, we talked about one of these guys, uh, Joseph Smalley, was, was a part of a holiness church, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, Baptist church, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and speaking in tongues, run out of his church, he starts New Testament church, which is where Jenny Evans Moore was a member. If you remember, Jeannie Evans later went on to marry William Seymour, and um, that's, that was her church. Well, Smalley uh, became, the New Testament church became a Pentecostal church, and there's a description by Frank Bartleman of what happened when Pentecost came to New Testament church. The New Testament church received her Pentecost yesterday, the bottom of page one of your notes. We had a wonderful time. Men and women were prostrate under the power all over the hall. A heavenly atmosphere pervaded the place. Such singing I have never heard before. The very melody of heaven, it seemed to come direct from the throne. Now, it's interesting that God did this supernatural work in in New Testament church, but eventually they rejected the the message of Pentecost and and later rejected the Pentecostal ministry. And so um, not everybody stuck with what God was doing. And that's not uncommon. You know, if you take, take a look um, at the revivals in the 90s, and you take a look at those churches today, many, many, many churches do not stay with the flow of what God's doing. And, and if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, I, on a Sunday morning, I was preaching the, 
the spirit of a pioneer, that sermon series, and pioneering a work of God in our, in our community. And if you remember, one of the comments that I made about that is, why, why do revivals wane? Why do we see, you know, that's not necessarily, I believe, God's intention for them to wane, but why do they? And the answer that I, I believe, and we see it actually here with Azusa Street, is we start to make a monument around what God's doing. We, we want to build, build a camp. Oh, look what God's doing, and we want to camp out, and God's saying, no, th- this is a journey. I want you to keep moving with me. Keep, I, want you, I want to take you further into deeper spiritual realities. This is just the beginning, and, and I want to remind each of us that we can't get comfortable even in what God's doing today in our church. You know, we, we had our board meeting uh, Monday night, and I think it was Mike said in the, in the board meeting, he said, we were talking about some issues that we were working through with Night of Hope, and he said, well, he said, I don't understand why we're still dealing with the same issues we were dealing with last year at Night of Hope. <laughs> and of course, we all were laughing because Night of Hope wasn't, wasn't happening last year, <laughs> right? And so, you know, the, the joke is there that God's doing something fresh and new in our church, and things are happening that haven't happened before, and it's exciting. You know, it's, it's challenging to the flesh, it's challenging to our natural mind, and it ought to be. You know, we don't want to live by our natural mind, and we don't want to live according to our flesh. But, but when those things happen, we can often say, oh God, this is really good. You know, the mountain of transfiguration. God, you can't, it doesn't get any better than this, Jesus. Let's just camp out here. And all the while, Jesus is saying, nope, this is just the beginning. Let's keep moving. Let's keep going deeper. And uh, that's kind of what we see happen. We see that happen you know, with some regards to Azusa. So the minute that man starts to camp out, you know, there's a progression that happens. We, we want to build a monument, and, and monuments become museums, and museums become mausoleums, and eventually you're just full of dead man's bones, and that's, that's not what we want. We want to keep moving. We don't want to camp out. Then you've got this guy, Mac Jonas, who was affected by Azusa Street. He received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he was one of the leaders of the Church of God in Christ. And then what was happening with the Apostolic Faith Mission? So remember, Apostolic Faith Mission was the name given to Azusa Street. That was the name that they took on. In August 1906, Frank Bartleman rented a church building at the corner of 8th and Maple Streets, and he created a Pentecostal mission himself. So right, a, right across town... You have Frank Bartleman, who was a part of New Testament Church. He basically was what we would call the historian for Azusa Street. A lot of, a lot of information we have from uh, Azusa Street as a result of Bartleman's um, you know, things that his journals and things that he wrote and things that he mentioned. So he starts his own ministry, and he's in cooperation with Seymour. He's, they're not in opposition. You know, Seymour goes and preaches for him, etc. Well, Bartleman is an itinerant minister. He's, a, he's an evangelist. He, he wants to go and preach. He doesn't want to be stuck to one church. So he hands off leadership to a guy by the name of Pendleton who ends up pastoring that church, and, and they maintain good relationship with Seymour throughout. So Azusa Street, we know, becomes a apostolic faith mission. 
they established a committee of 12 elders. Those folks are listed there in your notes for you. Uh, interesting, some of the folks that are on that list, though. And so all of that's happening. They're creating leadership. They're trying to bring some organizations to what's happening. They're getting an influx of finances. They're getting an influx of, of correspondence from people all over the world. They have daily services that have gone uninterrupted for, you know, this was just a year, but they, they go uninterrupted for three years. You know, all of these, mean all this stuff's happening, and they needed people. It couldn't just be all about Seymour. Now, this is interesting. This kind of gives us a good New Testament look at church leadership and the, and the successes and the failures. And we see this here at Azusa Street. They're, the successes were... Seymour was the pastor. His, his ministry was to lead, and he was anointed by God to lead the services and lead the ministry. But his job was to not deal with the daily activities of maintaining the church and the structure and the organization. And so they appointed people to do that. That, that was their, their elders, as they called them. And so they came in and began to assist with those things so that... Um, Seymour could focus on prayer and study and ministry, and that's all he did. Now, you, you tell most churches that today, and they'll laugh at you and say, well, the pastor, his job is to do it all, and my job is to come and just, you know, sit and, and sour. You know, I'll just come sit and soak and sour and let the pastor do everything, right? But that's not, that's not scriptural. That's, you know, we don't see that in the New Testament church. Matter of fact, the, uh, the apostles in Acts said, what was the problem? What was the problem in the middle of revival, in the middle of thousands of people being born again? The widows got upset because they were getting cut ahead of in the food line. <laughs> Somebody was jumping ahead of them in the food line. They got mad and made a big deal about it, and it reached the ears of the apostles. You know, that had to be a pretty big deal. I, I joke around and say, Heather and I are always the last ones to find out anything, unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. And that's usually pretty true. We're usually the last people to hear about things when things are happening, because nobody wants what? Nobody wants the pastor to know. You know, if somebody's in the hospital sick or something's going on, we don't want the pastor to know. <laughs> and so we always say we're the last ones to find things out. So in, in the context of the New Testament, where there's thousands of people that had to be a pretty big deal <laughs> to reach the ears of the apostles. And so they say, hey, we can't, this is not what God's called us to deal with. This is why there's leadership. And so they appointed the, the first deacons, the word, you know, the servants. They, they appointed servants, deacons, to come in and to wait on the tables. And that was the ministry. And so we see that happening here in Azusa Street. They're appointing leaders. Some people had problems with this at Azusa. They said that they were becoming too structured and too organized and that it was going to stop the move of God. Um, I don't think that it hindered what God was doing. I think it assisted the leadership. The problem came in when the leaders they had did not have the vision of the church. And, and that's the problem that they ran into is some of these folks had, had separate visions than what God was giving to Seymour, and it caused problems. And some of them bailed. And we'll see that momentarily. One, one particular person bailed, and it caused a little bit of issue. Uh, and so when you have, you know, God appoints one head, one, one leader, one head, he appoints one. No man can follow two masters. A two-headed a two 
a two-headed uh, organization or church or anything is a monster. <laughs> you know, we have one head. And so we don't want, you know, we have to follow and come into alignment with what God's doing. And when we do that, there's blessing. So at the same time all of this was happening in 1906, Lucy Farrow, if you remember her, she was the one that helped connect Seymour. Um, and she knew Seymour in Houston with Parham. She leaves. She goes back to Houston to see her son. And eventually she goes on to Africa as a missionary where she spent the rest of her life. All of this is happening. 1906, wildfire spreads. People come in. They're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. God's revolutionizing their life. And they start going out. Teams of, of ministry teams start being sent out around the country. And that starts around about August. If you remember, Ivy Campbell made her way back here in November of that year. So, so all of this time, people are being sent out. Chicago was lit up. New York got lit up. All of these areas got lit up as a result of what was happening as, at Azusa Street because people were going out and spreading the fire. It went worldwide. Not only did you have people going across the states, you had people like Lucy Farrell who God called them to go out as missionaries. So in... As a result of that, uh, Azusa Street, and I believe it was in 1906, commissioned 38 missionaries to go out, to be sent out. And they were, they were credentialing people. Their committee of elders were credentialing people. They were overseeing all of these things that were going on. It's awesome. That, that is revival church. <laughs> that is what, that's what we want. We want God to do in our church something supernatural. And um, so moving on down, initial effects in the holiness movement, you have Southern California Holiness Association taking a stand against the Pentecostal movement in the summer of 1906 while wildfires are going out from Azusa Street and people are getting touched and ministered to. You have the Holiness Association saying, we don't believe in tongues. And they said, if you preach tongues or if you experience it, we will bring you to trial and we will excommunicate you, basically. And they did. And they did. Uh, that's where Pendleton came from, the guy that took Bartleman's church. He was a holiness guy who got baptized in the Holy Spirit along with majority of his church. And when that happened, the holiness movement, the holiness church said, nope, you're not going to do that. We don't believe in that. We believe, remember, the holiness folks believed in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but the evidence of it was sanctification, not speaking in tongues. And um, so they, they brought him to trial along with the members of his church and kicked him out of the holiness church. And so then he took Bartleman's church um, and helped Bartleman. So a lot, a lot of interesting things going on there. So September 1906, newspapers started featuring articles on Azusa Street, and it was all over. You, it was all over the country. It was all over the world. News and media captured what was happening at Azusa Street. And um, some good, some bad. Of course, we all know with the news media, they want to find the issues. They want to find the, the places of, of weakness, and they did that also. Um, you had all of that going on. So moving along into the aftermath of Pentecost, you had C.H. Mason, who was one of the leaders of the Church of God in Christ out of Memphis. Him and C.P. Jones were the leaders. They were the two leaders. So Mason goes to Azusa Street with two of his leaders, and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in tongues. They come back. Well, when they come back, they find out that Glenn Cook, who was 
actually, Glenn Cook was one of the leaders, one of the elders at Azusa Street. Glenn Cook was one of those original 12 that we just talked about. And Glenn went out from Azusa, positively went out, and began to minister and do evangelistic work and went to Memphis. Well, while in Memphis, Mason and Jones' people were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so when Mason got back, he found a lot of his people had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but Jones did not like it, didn't believe in it, and so they split ways. And so you ended up with the Church of Church of God in Christ, and you ended up with the Church of God uh, Holiness, or Church of God in Christ Holiness movement. So, interesting. The CMA we talked about earlier. Of course, McKinney's Church here in Akron was huge uh, effect in the CMA movement. We talked about that. You had... Um, the CMA superintendent in Cleveland, Kramer, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he was involved in all of this. In 1907, Cook, who we just talked about in Memphis, went to the Gospel Tabernacle in Indianapolis, and the same thing happens. (laughs) Holy Spirit outpouring. And then Flower, um, if you remember the name Roswell Flower in any history, he was one of the and one of the early superintendents of the Assemblies of God gets born again at Glenn Cook's meeting in Indianapolis at the CMA Church. So, very interesting. So, lots of, a lot of eruptions <laughs> going on in the CMA. Their training school in New York got turned upside down. They were trying to control what was happening. They were trying not to have outbursts in the school or get sidetracked. And lo and behold, what happens on the closing exercises... God explodes, (laughs) and they have quite the pandemonium at the school. If you go back and study it, there's a lot of quotes and and a lot of uh, excerpts and stuff about what happened at the CMA school, Uh, but needless to say, it was quite quite a mess. (laughs) It was quite a Holy Ghost mess, and one of the quotes uh, there, one of the leaders was praying a phrase in tongues, and it was very simple but powerful, and when he did... They said one of the students fell to the floor and it looked like somebody hit him with a sledgehammer. He went out so hard. So as a result of all this, A.B. Simpson in 1910 created a position for the CMA. He said that they recognize all the spiritual gifts, including tongues, but opposed to the teaching that this special gift is for all or is the evidence. And so they said that this was unscriptural. Uh, Of course, created quite the divide in the CMA. And uh, it was interesting what, what... what prompted that is that A.B. Simpson was asking God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but never received it. And so thus he made a position for the CMA based on his own experience. Now let me say that, uh, say this about that. Scripture is absolute truth. Whether I experience what it says or not, it is absolute truth. Just because someone isn't born again, they can't negate the power of salvation that's in the Word of God. And likewise, with healing and all baptism in the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, everything that's in Scripture, it is there. It is the absolute truth. It is the absolute Word of God. And your experience or my experience or lack thereof does not negate what God says in His Word. So help us, Jesus, if we ever make a stance or position based on experience alone, go to the Word of God. And um, actually, Simpson, it, w- it was said, now, we don't know this to necessarily be absolute truth, but 
David McDowell said that A.B. Simpson told him he did what he thought was best, but he may have made a mistake. He may have missed it. So, The end of time of Azusa Street. So you had all these churches started, missionaries sent out, churches closed. You know, there's a lot of churches that closed as a result of this, and they no longer believed in in their former beliefs, their experience, and their revelation of Scripture went deeper, so some churches needed to close. Um, so it, all of this stuff was happening. In the middle of all of that, in 1908, the media stopped covering, really, Azusa Street. They'd had their share. They, they'd seen enough. They stopped the media coverage. Um, people were started to be charged by the local authorities in Los Angeles with disturbing the peace. You had a lot more uh, outward attacks made towards Christians. Uh, one in particular, there was a group of, of folks from Azusa Street um, out in, in Chinatown in Los Angeles having a street meeting. And while they were doing so, the, the folks from Chinatown brought rotten eggs and started throwing rotten eggs at them. And so, you know, things like that. People start getting a little leery and scared of, of what's happening. You know, they start backing away. Um, the, as we talked earlier, the, the Azusa Street was publishing the Apostolic Faith in 1908, where they had been sending out regular issues. In 1908, they stopped sending out as regular issues. Only two or three went out that we know of, and uh, they started changing. They, they weren't as professional. And then in August of 1908, Clara Lum, who was one of the original, remember we were talking about elders in the church and the division, she was one of those uh, elders. She was responsible um, for, the, for, the, for the magazine, for the apostolic faith. And so one of the issues goes out, handwritten basically, um, and then August goes out and it's now no longer in Los Angeles, it's now in Portland, Oregon. So everybody's looking at the apostolic faith that was a product of Azusa Street saying, what's going on? Remember, this was their main forum. This would be like our internet or Facebook or websites. This was their main form of communication. Now, all of a sudden, it no longer is part of Azusa Street. So the speculation there is that Clara um, had an interest in Seymour, <laughs> a romantic interest in Seymour, and Seymour, he married... Uh, Jeannie Evans Moore, and basically it was they they it was done it wasn't done in secret secret but it wasn't a big you know wedding ceremony it was just a couple of people, and then they announced the next week hey we got married at Azusa Street, and some think that Claire got offended by that because she left like the week after he announced their marriage and took the paper with her <laughs> so a woman scorned you know who knows. <laughs> Who knows what happened there? There's a lot of speculation, but, but that's, that's one of the prominent things. In 1909, attendance started declining. Bartleman said that this, there was a spirit of dictatorship in the leadership. There was a lot of you know, dissension in 1909. Some people who went to the meetings made, wrote accounts in 1909 that the fire of revival was still burning. So you, had, you still had both ends, but there wasn't quite the, the zeal and the fire that there was initially. And September 28th, so, so let me back up to 1909. So you have 1909, things start waning. Uh, between 19, 
1909 uh, in the early 1920s. If you remember, during that time frame, I skipped, I skipped a lot of notes there because we just didn't have time, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, during that time frame, you had a lot of racial tension in America. They were lynching people, the KKK. All of these things were happening during this time. Remember, Azusa Street was predominantly African-American, and, and there was whites and others that mixed into that group. But uh, there was a lot of tension going on at that time. And so between that time frame... Uh, there was a lot happening. The attendance really started waning. Membership started dropping down eventually into the 50s. And, and it just really wasn't as fiery as it was. And in September 28, 1922, a man runs through Thursday morning crowds that punctuate the downtown streets, making his way to South Spring Street and the offices of Dr. Walter M. Boyd. The doctor is needed urgently. Rushing back to the 52-year-old patient, the doctor hears snatches of the story, the sudden attack, the severe pain, the ailing heart. After examining the patient, Boyd left him resting. Later that same day at 5 p.m., the patient was awake, sitting up, dictating a letter. He had spent the previous hours with his wife singing, praying, praising God and planning the work that they, or rather she, would carry out in the coming months. He made a plea for love among the brethren everywhere. Then the pain returned, this time with more force, this time with less warning. Breath escaped, unable to clawed, be clawed back, and the last words were held on the faintness breeze that hovered between the walls of the Azusa Street Mission, I love my Jesus so, and William Seymour was dead. So Jenny Seymour, his wife, carries on his work for another eight years until in 1930, she's preaching in Azusa Street, the Apostolic Faith Mission. She's preaching to her 25, 50 congregation members and then walks a, a priest, a Coptic priest, um, and he by the name of R.C. Griffith. And Griffith was described as very charismatic. Everybody loved him. He had the look. He had the smile. You know, one of those kind of preachers. <laughs> we call them the Banana Republic preachers. They just got it all together. They got the look and the, you know, the swag and the sway. And they just, you know. Anyway, so that was kind of what was described as him. And he began to woo over the congregation members. And he would meet with them. And, you know, anytime you have things like that going on, that's a, that's a red flag. Someone's trying to start a coup, and that's basically what happened. And he showed up and told Miss Jeannie Evans Moore, now Jeannie Seymour, you're out of a job. The church has voted me in as their pastor, and you're out of a church. So Seymour, Jeannie Seymour, and, and those that were with her went to the court and said, this isn't right, this is, you know, my husband, and I founded this ministry, and he's trying to take it, and uh, the court put a padlock, <laughs> you know, the Seymours had a history with padlocks <laughs> on doors, and uh, they put a padlock on the door, the police department did, and the, eventually the courts ruled in Jeannie Seymour's favor. But then right after that, literally within just, I, I think it was not even a full year, maybe three years max, the court system turns right around and says that the, that the building it was condemned, that it was a fire hazard, and they tore Azusa Street down. Um, so she lost the building. She had the, she had the mortgage or the deed to the property, but she lost the building. But then, in the middle of all of this wonderful stuff that's happening, insert the Great Depression. And so Jeannie Moore couldn't afford 
the, the uh, mortgage payments, the, and she, she couldn't afford to keep everything up, and so she lost her personal property and the deed to that property that Azusa Street sat on and went back to the bank. Um, there was court battles and such, but she ended up losing it, and she was admitted to the county hospital where she eventually died, and she was eventually buried next to her husband in an unmarked grave. So that's Jeannie Seymour, William Seymour. Um, that is Azusa Street, and that's what happened. We can learn a lot from that. Um, I think it is, it is of utmost importance, number one, of utmost importance for those who are in leadership to be on the same page <laughs> and have the same vision. There's one vision, and we, this, this is a great example of that. And those who are in the church, those who are part of the church, are moving according to that vision no matter what happens. This is what God is doing, and this is the direction we're going. And if you don't like pizza, go down to McDonald's. But we're serving pizza. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's, if you don't like what we're serving, there's, there's another place to go. But... We love you, God bless you, but this is the direction we're going. And, that, and that's really the tenacity that Seymour had. And he had no problems with that. He would actually have people in, preach for him. Now, whether I think this is right or wrong doesn't matter. It just kind of goes to show his character. He would have people preach in his meetings that he knew was against him, um, that were vocally against him. He would still invite them in and allow them to minister. So... Um, Again, it goes to show that when God's in charge, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> God will direct the ship. And so that's, that's where we have to stay. Is, and especially as leaders, we allow God to direct the ship. It's not about you or I. And, and Man, and then being on the same page and moving in the same direction. I believe God is doing something supernatural in our church, in our community. And I want to stay on course with what God's doing. I don't want to camp out just because the... It's good now. I want to get on to the best that God has for me. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my friends, my family tonight. Lord, I pray for your blessing on them. Lord, as they go this evening, Lord, that you would keep them safe. Lord, that this word would just stir in their heart, this history and the information that we've looked at. Lord, it would stir in our hearts. Lord, that you would stir a hunger. Use it to stir a hunger and a desire for more. Lord, help us to learn from those who've gone on before us. And uh, Lord, help us to be hungry. Give us the gift of hunger for your presence and, and revival and awakening. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so all